The reading this morning is taken from 1 Peter, uh, starting chapter 1, verse 24, and uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 12, uh, in the Church Bibles, uh, page 1218. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but, the, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. In, in uh, 1 Peter, and uh, we've got a couple of cross-references in the course of the sermon, but not too many, and so if you keep your Bibles open, that would be a help. Is it a presumptuous title that we have that uh, is impacting others, making an impact on other people as a community, that's all of us collectively, a community of people that treasures Jesus Christ, a community of people whose value of Jesus is extremely high. We value what we do. We do what we value. We value Jesus Christ. And with him being at the center of our lives, a great deal of our relationships and our business transactions are governed by the Lord Jesus. He's not on the peripheral or the circumference of our lives. Therefore, there ought to be that distinctiveness as a community. Now, the buzzword throughout this sermon is community, and we'll be making reference to it, particularly as it unfolds uh, in this uh, passage. Just a brief uh, sort of introduction. Peter is writing to a displaced people. 
There are people in our country after the, after the, the post-war period who were called displaced persons. I went to uh, Poland with a displaced person. And in the border crossing, the Polish uh, militia were extremely rude and unkind and almost uh, wanting to arrest this uh, man that I was with, Ernie Palmach, some of you remember him coming here years ago, um, and called him a traitor to his country, even though he'd fought in the war and so on and so forth. To be displaced people is to be marginalized. And these are the people that Peter is writing to. Christians who are scattered across the present day Turkey. You think of that country and its surrounding areas in Syria. So that's who he's writing to, people who are displaced, but also as Christians they've been disowned. Disowned sometimes by their own cultures, often by their families and societies. No, so if you just think that's a terrible context in which to live out your faith, and it's light years away from all of us here today, think of that context for a moment, and at least three dangers. The danger, number one, of becoming a silent minority. Just, you know, yes, you, yes you're a Christian, but don't make a song and dance about it. Just keep quiet and um, do your best. And you, you, there's cross-references there that that uh, we can refer to. Or the second uh, danger is, is to retreat into a sort of a ghetto. Um, I, there's a, hold the cartoon for a moment. Listening to Radio 4, I heard this before I saw it. It's that good that, uh, and I said to Neil, I'm going to use it before you do. Uh, I'm not sure there's a, con but don't forget, retreat into a ghetto whereby it's a sort of a marginalized, um, unusual uh, group of people, the exclusives, if you like. There's this cartoon. What do you think of this? It's been hitting the headlines a lot lately. Can you read that? Don't be late tomorrow. It's the school photo. Yes. Now Christians can be a bit odd like that. And being odd doesn't help the cause of community or the advancement of the gospel. The third danger is to have a sense of despair. You're part of a group, they're good people, they're nice people, but really, what is it all about? Now, although that may seem somewhat distant to us, I don't think it is that much. If, if you're at work and you say to people, you have a good weekend, yes, I went to church, they would look at you as if you've got two heads. If, if you dare tell them that. Or if you say that you're a Christian, people will not consider you as a rule with a sense of favor. There is an increasing uh, hostility and indeed uh, the secularizing of society pushes constantly our faith into the margins. With that sort of context then and now as we bring it to where we are, one of the epidemics of the Western world as we are today is this. It is what we could call the ravages of individualism. And this individualism is closely related to another modern disease which is isolation. We live in blissful isolation. We've got quadraphonic uh, televisions. We've got channels as much as we like. We're okay. We don't need our neighbors. And yet somehow we crave for community. 
There's an interesting thing coming out uh, in the press this week, and uh, I won't, I'll, I, you can have a look at this later on. It's called, the heading is, and there's a church, whole movement being launched today throughout the country uh, in 20 cities around the world, and it's, uh, the heading in, in the paper is, No Rest for the Wicked. Atheist churches go forth and multiply. And here's a group of people who have certain things in common, things that they don't believe, the antithesis of Christians who meet because of what they do believe. They don't believe in God. They don't like the church. Yet they crave for community, the thing the churches provide. They say in their article, we are envious of community. We long for a sense of belonging. We lament the fact that we are isolated in our own higher, upper-class societies. The critic of the, the article is that it's mainly white and middle class. They long for community. That's the theme that comes through in this article. Now, the interesting thing about the Christian faith, therefore, is this, that we are a part of a community of believers. So, here's the epidemic. A longing for belonging. You got that? A longing for belonging. I wanted to play to you that uh, very poignant part, if you've seen uh, the the film, as well as the uh, theatre, Le Miserable, where uh, Jean Valjean asks with great passion, Who am I? Who am I? Am I a number? 24601? Or am I Jean Valjean? And there's this sense of wanting to belong. It's a powerful uh, song and it, it resonates with us today. So there's the sort of deep crisis of a longing for belonging. It's still there. And all of which contributes to the fracture of human relationships of all kinds, many of us here, we're not just thinking about people out there, where relationships are threadbare, where we don't really relate, we ricochet, we want to but we can't, and it's hard work. Maybe some of us have given up on our extended families. A longing for belonging. God's mandate then, and this is something that uh, as uh, evangelicals and as Christian people we do need to think about, and it's this, that God's mandate is not just, and I don't mean that unkindly, to change individuals, of course, to have a living encounter with Jesus Christ, which is true, I, I, I know for most of us, I would wish it were true for all of us, in the language of Jesus, when he sees a very religious person, your religion's good, but you must be born again. Non-negotiable. You must. Not you should be, or you ought to be, or you might be. You must. Okay, we're not questioning that. However, you do not stop there. That is the beginning. Sure, it's the beginning. So what is God's mandate? Not just for individuals, but for community. To create community. So a longing for belonging, a believing and belonging, now are inextricably woven together. Let's come to the reading that we have and just uh, look, for example, in, um, where is it yet? Yes, the opening, chapter 2 of 1 Peter. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, of all kinds. This is what the community is to be like. It's put in negative terms. Don't be like this. Don't be hypocrites. Or envy or slander of every kind. Rather, here's the contrast, look at verse 2, like newborn babies, crave 
pure spiritual milk so that they may grow up into a community that belongs to Jesus Christ. Our salvation is a collective one, not an individual one. So we can be saved and live in blissful isolation. You only have to ask uh, Tim, who's uh, come in here, about newborn babes. And it's a powerful word, isn't it? Who crave milk. Something innate about that, where there's life. Now, it's a powerful symbol, the language that, that he gives here. And out of that comes community. You're born into family. And, of course, the family unit is constantly, constantly under attack today as never before. So there you are. That's worth emphasizing more than anything else. God's mandate is not just to change the individual. It is that, but much, much more. To create community with a unique character which is distinctive. Now then, with that sort of big introduction, we just got four quick headings. And what Peter portrays here vividly in these 12 verses, and he gives us four statements. We're just going to look at these very quickly. These four statements. Number one, we belong. Not surprising, is it, that he should flag that up. We belong to God's family. We're not simply people who go to church. We are the church. When you go, you are going because you belong and you believe. We belong to God's family. And then secondly, we are stones in God's building. And thirdly, we are priests in God's temple, and we are then finally citizens in God's kingdom. Please look that up as we follow this through and see these four pictures. Now, does this genuinely reflect where we are? And if there's a weakness in one of these, take it to heart. May I say, take it personally and try to apply that in all your relationships. Okay, let's look at these then. We belong to God's family. You see this in chapter 1, verse 23, where we began. Look, it says here, uh, you, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And our short passage on earth is brief indeed. All men are like grass, the glory like the flower of the field. Grass withers, perishes faith. But this word, this abiding word, is with us forever. We belong to God's family. Now then, I said that, and how does... And it's unfortunate sometimes the way these letters are divided. Chapter 2, verse 1, comes with this word that's often used. Therefore, in the light of that, if that is so, look, rid yourself of all this rubbish that clutters our lives. Like newborn babes, you, you, are, you have been born, you've got life, crave this spiritual milk that we might grow up. You see that? We're part of God's family. Put it this way. Just as there are two parents. Now, we're living in a very complicated society. There was an article in the paper about three weeks ago about uh, two lesbian um, people who were married and the woman had a child from a previous uh, relationship and both of them wanted to be registered with the uh, local vicar to be mothers. He said, I'm filling in the standard form. One of you must be a mother. No, we're both mothers. Well, he said, you can't be, but we are. Well, the man was removed from his position and then uh, somebody else came in to say, well, if that's what you want, let's just do it. Now, that's absurd. Whatever the sexuality issue and the gay issue, that is absurd. You have a mother and a father. That's how it works. 
That's how it is. So you have two parents for physical birth. We know that. But we have two parents for spiritual birth. I hope that we know that too. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. You are born again through the living Word of God. That's what we've read. That's the first. The work of the Holy Spirit. A strange, sovereign work whereby we cry to God and ask for mercy. And we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the beginning. Quickening, if you like. Medics use that term sometimes. It's a mystery, of course. And the second parent is the Word of God by which we grow. Just as we need to eat to live, so we need God's Word to grow in our salvation. Now that is so obvious, isn't it? That's how we belong to God's family. And there's no fudging that. Let me just say three things that uh, are linked to this then, when we belong to God's family. There is a family likeness. I don't go back to Pontedau now, but when I do and uh, meet people, they say, you're just like your father. I say, I hope that's a compliment. I'm not quite sure that it is. But, or when we saw John and Kim sent the photo of the safe arrival of Noah Rees, Hannah said, he's a Davis. You could see it. There was a likeness. Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes Even Kim admitted to that, so it must be pretty... Um, you see what I'm saying? There, there is a family like. Well, to what extent is there a likeness with us to our Heavenly Father, to the Saviour whom we love? In those terms that Neil was speaking to the children. It's not just a talk for the kids, is it? It's true for us. The family likeness. But, you know, there is, and there ought to be family love. A love that will stretch. Some of you have been inordinately patient with some of your children. You wouldn't be with anybody else. You know that. It's a family love. Indeed, perhaps one of the most profound things that Jesus ever said to his disciples was, look, I'll give you a new command. Love one another as I've loved you. By this will people know that you are my disciples. You belong to my family. That's how they'll know. Of course, if we live in our Christian ghettos, they are not going to know because we don't see them. We don't meet with them. Family likeness. Do not draw, put a circle around yourself in I, me, my family and nobody else. What sort of church is that? Family likeness, family love. And, yet, and there's also this, and it's a very part, we've made reference to it. Look in chapter 2 and verse 2. A family longing. Longing and belonging. Look. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by that they will grow into a community so I have to ask you how is your appetite for spiritual things what is your energy for spiritual involvement involvement with people is always difficult many of us are awkward angular and often difficult it's not easy. Uh, I'm talking about us now, not anybody else. That's how it is. And that's why some people say, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. You can't do that. You're family. You didn't choose it. This is God's sovereign work, not, not mine, not yours. We belong to God's family. The second one, a complete contrast. We are stones in God's building. Have you ever heard somebody say, if they want, it's a, it's a strange quirk of uh, the British language. 
when somebody wants to speak so well of a person, and David, somebody will have to tell you this, I suspect, is this, that they say, you know, somebody does lots of good things and they're willing and so on. He says, you know, he's a brick. I've never heard such an insult in all my life. Would you like to be called a brick? You know, but you know what they mean. He's reliable. He's just there. And you can... It, they, we ought to have a better illustration that I don't want to be a brick, though. I want to be a stone. Now, a brick's a standard. Michael, you know that. They're all the same. They are. It's a bit boring, isn't it? We don't want to be, we want to be ourselves, surely. Okay? So we are stones. They're all different. We worked on uh, seeing people uh, do these dry stone walls. It's a work of art. Artists they are. Much underrated. They're using stones. There's a pile of rubble. And they look and they say, yeah, I can see where that can grow. I'll put that there for a moment. Yeah, that one. And they work away. And it's, it's quite something. And if you think it's easy, have a go. I suspect it will fall down in no time. We are stones in God's building. So look what he's saying here. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, he's not a living brick, the living stone, capital, Jesus Christ, rejected by men. Of course, so many people will reject Jesus Christ. And yet, God is saying he is the cornerstone. He's the center. He always will be. And his value is not diminished if some people think lesser or reject him. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but, hey, chosen by God and precious to him. What ultimate folly it is to reject Jesus. Even if it is apparently on our so-called intellectual problem, which I don't believe anyway. Often it's an issue that we are proud and we will not admit that we need to repent of our sins and trust the Savior. So, here he is. He's the living stone. And you'll be built into a spiritual house. And so there's a quotation, you see it in the footnote there, from, from Isaiah, from the Old Testament. And what is Peter doing? He's speaking to people who are under the, uh, the, the emperor Nero, who was even, the historian said, was mad. And he looks in the Old Testament in Isaiah and he says, this is for you. No, it's Hebrew, but you Gentiles and Greeks and so on, but it's for you. What is it? See? I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now you who believe, this stone is precious. And you see what's happened. The transition of the stone being precious to God now is precious to people. We're not bricks. I, I'm always in trouble with churches where everybody's the same. We're not meant to be like that. We are stones. In a true Christian community, it is the living stone that is the central place. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And everything revolves around him. So you see in verses 7 and 8, the metaphor, the illustration throughout is about a building. It's about a building. I went uh, on Friday to see the church to see how it's going. I go every Friday now and uh, take some cakes that Hannah makes and uh, the site foreman says Hannah's an angel. I said, you only say that because she gives you cakes and I think that's true. I did say to him, I live with her. (laughs) 
The thing about going to a building is it's a mess. Builders, they, you, you are messy people. Yeah, you know, you, you're married to one. There's concrete and rubbish and mud. It's a mess. And you have to be patient because it's not the finished article. Now, some of us get messed up, don't we? We know that. You might say at a certain time, I'm a mess. Look at my life. Look at, look at all this stuff that's going on. But it's not the end. You're a work in progress. There is a final date that is outside of your remit that God knows about. And you are a stone in God's building. He is the master builder. What you call a stonemason. Okay, let's think about, let's ask uh, uh, three questions here then. Okay, you've got the illustration, you've got the picture. Number one, are you adaptable? Are you prepared to be flexible when you think about this building? You're a work in progress. I went to the Horticultural Society yesterday and saw uh, Mr. Speaker, John Burkow and invited him to the opening of the new building. Particularly, I went to him because before he wrote that he didn't agree with it. He does now, and he's on board. Um, I said, will you come to the opening of the new building? He said, I'd love to come. When is it? I said, I don't know. Well, you know, I'm busy. Well, he is, isn't he, Mr. Speaker? He is busy. He's got a lot to do. Well, I said, look, I, we're aiming for the length of January 2014. God willing, said to him. Once you say that, he knows that there's another dimension to that. So he said, um, I'll put it in my diary provisionally. Well, I said, I will write to you. I will write to you when we have a definitive date, but keep that in your diary. That might change. There are factors. There are all sorts of issues. D delay in material, complications. All of that is part of a building. But it will be finished one day. And you think of your life as you're a work in progress. One day it will be complete. And in the language of the hymn writer, change from glory into glory till in heaven you take your place. Okay then, are you adaptable? Do you see yourself as a living stone that is prepared to have the rough corners knocked off? Can be a bit difficult, a bit embarrassing. Just, you're not fitting in there there's a bit of work to do. How adaptable are you? Second question. Are you prepared to fit in where the master builder says, yes, no, I, I know you might think you should be there, but I think that's the place for you. In fact, I know it is, and I'm going to put you there. And it may be some natural gifts don't quite fit in with the spiritual gifts, but l trust me, you'll grow. That's the whole point of this passage, about growing. Growing into the building, growing into a community. You grow. Are we prepared to fit in as Christ takes each stone and personally fits us into this building? Third question to ask. How prepared are you? How willing are you to bear the load? One of the things about being in a, in, in a structure like this is that each stone has to bear the burden. It's, it's shared bearing of the load. 
how much if you weren't around would the church miss you in terms of what you do, how you pray, what, what you're involved in, how often you gave hospitality, how much you prepared. Say, look, I'll take you to hospital. I've got a car. Give me a shout sometime. As community, that is. Are you adaptable? Are you prepared to sit in? Are you willing to bear, shoulder the burden, share the Lord, pull your weight? And that is how we are integrated into a community of grace. We don't simply believe the same things and stop there. What a pitiful church that is. We do that, but we belong and we're involved and it's a challenge and people are awkward and difficult, often like us. We bear the burden. You won't grow outside of that. How integrated are we into a community of grace where you have a unique role? Do you see what you see the, the progression building, relating communing we're communal moving on very quickly and much shorter we are a priest in God's temple it's not just the men are priests, the women are priests we are all a royal priesthood we're all priests all of us do you see that, look at, look at verse um, Five, you also, like living stones, will be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And look again, verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. What does a priest do? Declaring the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are priests in God's temple. Now there's a connection. Here's the interesting thing. And Peter's got the courage to do this. Yes, these are Greeks. He's a Jew. Yes, they're from different cultures, different traditions. But hold on. They've embraced the same Jesus. What's the connection? In the Old Testament, God's people had a priesthood. The Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, and all of its paraphernalia. But Peter is saying, wait a minute. Now, not you have a priesthood. You are a priesthood. You are a priest. That's, what we are. That's exactly what he's saying there. Do you see it? You are a royal priesthood. You're a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation of people belonging to God. Make the connection. There's no distinction between, you know, priests and pastors. They, there can be a sort of the clergy and the laity and this sort of language that isn't helpful. We're all on the same level. People have different gifts, of course. Here's the thing, though. Make this connection. It is not the animal sacrifice. You know, once and for all, I've done that. I've been there. And that's it. No, no. You know the language of Paul, that classic verse in, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. You're a priest. Don't forget it. It's not a one-off thing. Now, of course, we're not all teachers. We're not all evangelists. We're not all pastors. We're all priests. We're all priests. And that is our great calling and that is where community begins to dovetail together. And finally and lastly, we are citizens in God's kingdom. 
Look at verses uh, 9 to 12 just to see this. But you are a chosen people, a royal piece of a whole nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare, pronounce the praises of him who called you to darkness into his wonderful light. Here's the transaction. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, you have now. You've received mercy. You may be here today and say, what does that mean? Well, have you really put your trust in Jesus Christ? You receive mercy. And if not, have the courage to ask yourself today, why not? Why? Is it that before this generous God that you are so proud and standoffish that you would not receive mercy? You know you need it. We are citizens in God's kingdom by grace. Saviour for Zion City, I through grace a member arm. Let the world deride or pity. 18th century hymn, I will glory in your name. Fading is the worldling's pleasures. All its boasted pomp and show, solid joys, lasting pleasures. None but Zion's children know. It's the language of, old language of a hymn writer. But it's true. We're citizens in God's kingdom. We're on a journey. In Christ, we are a holy nation. And of course, this language is, means that we are set apart. We are set apart for God. Well, one final, uh, just one reference for the sake of time. In, in, look in um, uh, Philippians 3.20. This helps to just summarize this for us. That in Christ we are a holy nation set apart for God. Philippians 3.20. Look at that. Paul is expressing some of this dilemma. I am twixt between whether to depart and be with Christ or to stay. He knows. He knows my time. And then there's this lovely but. 3.20 Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship, whatever the stocks and chairs and the pension and schooling and the mortgage and all that stuff, which we, of course, we need. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of God's kingdom. But that means, therefore, that he has a prior claim on my life, on my time, and my gifts. Don't hold back. Don't do that. And he calls us to create community. Community. A community of grace, of faith, hope, and love. And make the connection between believing and belonging. It's vital that we do that. Relating and repenting. That gives us the ingredients to be a distinctive people, a people of grace, belong to a community that treasures Jesus Christ. Treasure him. He's our treasure. He's our saviour. And we love him. And we want to serve him and follow him and reflect him and share him with other people. We are community. Now this week, let's try to live this out wherever we work.
the language of the Bible, wherever we live, move, and have our being, that we take the grace of God with us. And like this article in the paper, often very sincere, not necessarily bad people who want to form churches today. You think they're meeting in, in derelict churches in London and other parts of the country where they want church without Jesus. They want religion without repentance. It's a dead end, isn't it? The community is based on Jesus who is the cornerstone. Everything revolves around him. With that in mind, we're going to sing our final hymn and think about the church and this more modern hymn by uh, Timothy Dudley Smith, the great hymn, Lord of the Church, we pray for our renewing, Christ over all our undivided aim, fire of the Spirit, burn for our renewing, wind of the Spirit, sun the living flame. We turn to Christ amid our fears and failings, the will that lacks the courage to be free, the weary labours all but unavailing to bring us nearer what a church should be.